Hello everybody and welcome back inside the Shark Tank. No job done this week, we're just going to talk about a pretty romping win for Sale, 27 points to 13 over Bristol at Ashton Gates, a bonus point win and it leaves Sale in, the, in, familiar, in a familiar setting, four, four wins out of five, second place in the league, how good. Uh, my name is Lewis and I'm joined by my colleagues uh, Alex. And also James. James, I know it's been a it's been a few weeks. How are you, how are you doing? It's been a couple of weeks. Been travelling with work. It's it's been great to see Sale have been uh, okay in my absence, and we haven't needed that critical voice uh, so much on the pod. So no, it's 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 been good and um, really good win against Bristol. I think it could have been a better win actually. And Alex, how about yourself? How's things on your side? Yeah, very good. Thanks, mate. Very happy to see Sale back to winning ways. And uh, well, I say, yeah, back to winning ways after winning last week. But, you know, picking up away wins, um, further proof that that extra result was a bit of an aberration. Um, and I think it's been a pretty solid start to the season. We have to be happy with that, you know, putting away Bristol pretty clinically and, and plenty of um, excitement to come as well with you know, returning internationals and players still to come back and players to come back from injury. So it feels like we're in a really, really good place where the squad's really strong, we're playing good rugby and we're in a really strong position in the league as well. Second in the league, nice and comfortable, one point behind Quinns. So starting well, keeping pace and hopefully building momentum for, for the rest of the season. Yeah, I mean, Saturday Saturday's game marked uh, a debut for Luke Cowan Dickey, one of those returning internationals that you mentioned. Uh, before we kind of talk about the game on a larger scale, what, what did you make of his debut, Alex? Yeah, I think he looked good. I think it was he was a tough act to follow in Gus Creevy, who has been absolutely outstanding since his debut last week. But he looked physical, he got himself involved. I think you could see, although he didn't, don't think he will any penalties with it. You can see that his jackal threat is still there, and that's really important for us. Um, I think having Bevan Rod back as well helped that. You know, we've got those jackal threats around the pitch that we were missing maybe at the start of the season. So I think that was good. His darts looked great, really accurate in the line out, I thought. Um, and I just think he's an absolutely class player. We've got two incredible hookers there. We've got Tommy Taylor as well, who's also been brilliant. So we're in a really, really strong and fortunate position at hooker after, you know, losing basically our two first choice hookers last season to be back in this position of strength so early in the season is is really good. So, yeah, very excited to see him get on the pitch. I think you've seen from the socials and that kind of thing that he's really bought into the club anyway. And, you know, the sort of team environment that we've got going on. So, that's encouraging and it'll only lead to good performances on the pitch, that I think. So, yeah, very, very happy with that. Hopefully, get to see more of him, but it's going to be a hell of a competition for that two shirt, isn't it? Because they're just both superb operators. Yeah, really good to see Gus Creevy not have to go the entire 80 minutes this week. Um, obviously, we've already mentioned returning internationals, and obviously, that really propelled Sale forward. Just to kind of give a flavour of that. Um, we had, obviously, Cameron Dickey making his first appearance for sale. Um, Bevan Rod back in the starting lineup. Uh, ben Curry back in the starting lineup, although he did get an early yellow card. Um, Joe Carpenter, obviously not an international just yet, but he made his return after a couple of weeks out with injury off the bench. Um, and obviously, probably the biggest one of the lot, although I know he played uh, uh, last week as well, Georgie Ford. Uh, just pulling the strings at 10. And uh, James, I guess that's a great place to bring you in on this. I mean, this was... Again, a game that felt like we, we won by 14 points. We won quite handedly because we have that top-level talent in George Ford at 10, pulling the strings, a couple of try assists. Um, this, again, kind of felt like a game where we really saw just what an influence, uh, an elevating influence George Ford brings to this sale team. Yeah, I think it's the ability to play what's in front of you that he brings more than any other fly half in the Premiership. Um, you know, and don't forget, he's training week in, week out against the sale defence in training, right? Where we really squeeze, we put a lot of physical pressure on people. And so his ability to ship the ball either as the first receiver 
and, 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 and under pressure choose either an inside pass or the one in behind or the delayed pass for a for a kind of strike runner, either a back rower or inside centre getting over the gain line. We're able to either get around the defence or because we're playing wider this year, this is really important, the Aaron retry is a really good example, right? Where with the likes of Sam Bedlow, the likes of Sam James playing at fullback, even when Tom Roebuck or Reed are doing their come around from the blindside wing, it creates a lot of space on the outside. That's stretching opposition defences because they're terrified of Roebuck and Reed on the on the outside, which we did. We've not had. We've not. We've. Well, I, I can't remember a time we've had that. A long, long, long time ago. Uh, probably when we were less good, frankly. And so what that means is there is now room on the inside a little bit more. And there's room through the middle. There's actually room through the middle to get offloads and things like that going. What Ford's just absolutely brilliant at is choosing which one of those options to take. Now, when we didn't have George Ford, he was like, okay, this is the way we play. And we need a 10 who can play the way we play. Now it's, we can play three, three or four different ways and George Ford will choose the right way to play at each phase. And I, and I just think that that's just added a huge amount to our game. It wasn't his best day off the kicking tee, although not all of them were, were super easy. But I didn't think he was also striking them all that well. Um, I don't know whether that's just because he's been sort of not really kicking in the World Cup, um, you know, with Farrell mostly kicking at goal. But uh, obviously, you know, the drop goal thing uh, continues, which I, we all sort of look... We, 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 it's quite an interesting uh, thing, the drop goal, because it's kind of like a dying breed, isn't it? Um, but I think in this game, it was quite important because we were just keeping Bristol at arm's length in that second half. And, um, you know, whether we were deciding to take a penalty shot goal or a drop goal, it kind of just goes, OK, well, they've got to score tries. And I think where we have it over Bristol is when Bristol are trying to play and we just go, come to us, mama. Uh, and we just turn them over and we physically beast them and we break them down. And the first half was a battle because Bristol could match us. And the second half, we just took it completely away from them. And George Ford, I think, you know, he's, he's part of this more expansive game plan. And it isn't just him. I know I'm rambling, but I just want to shout out to Sam Bedlow, Sam James and Rob Dupria. Because we're basically playing in the back line with four people who have played 10 in the Premiership. Like more than 20 times. That's a lot of times to play 10. This isn't just like emergency fill-in. Both Sam, Sam Badlow and Sam James have played at 10 probably more than 20 times in the Premiership. That's a lot. So that just gives us so much playmaking ability. Anyone can slot into any position and they're going to be re relatively comfortable. That is a massive advantage. All right, Alex. I'm going to give you, on the on subject of George Ford, I'm going to give you a choice of three, right? Uh, his pass uh, behind the back, the switch play, um, to set up Aaron Reed's first try, the um, the pass directly to Sam James with the double clutch for Sam James's try, so second, or the little inside ball to I think it was the I think it was Dan Dupria, uh, which ended up being a couple of phases later the, the Joe Carpenter try. What was your uh, what was your George Ford moment of the match? My GSMOM um, was, I think I'll have to go for the Sam James try pass. It's a tight one between the last two because I think the other one, and we'll probably talk about it, just the speed of thought to do that was, and, and that's a wider point that I think is worth making. The speed of our play and the accuracy at speed we exhibited in attack was amazing. And that was kind of the pinnacle of it, I think. Um, that series of play, but also that George Ford pass. But the, the pass for the Sam James try was just unbelievable. It, the speed of it, the accuracy, the the way, you know, to make a premiership standard defence look that silly, it's got to be a really, really good pass. Um, and I think that's the only, the best thing I can say about it. I thought it really isolated Ibitoye, who um, struggled a lot against us in defence because you know there's just so many options to consider you know you're trying to cut off one as as we said when you've got the the kind of 
reading robot stretching gear, but also that distribution ability in the centre and the physicality, because Sam Bedloe is bringing a physicality that I don't think, you know, we we kind of maybe understated in in the season so far. I think it's gone quite quiet, but he's we you said I think last week, Lewis, he's doing the role that we kind of wanted Sam Hill to do all those years, and he's probably doing it better than Sam Hill really ever did it for us. It, that's just a question of form and, and that kind of thing. But because there's so many options, it's creating those gaps. And as as James said, the ability to pick them is so important. But it's just the pace of that pass is ridiculous. I thought there were two really good long passes in this game that really stuck with me. There were probably more, but the two that really stuck with me were Tom Roebuck for Aaron Reed's first try, which I thought was an outstanding pass on the run, the accuracy of it for a, a winger who, you know, again, when you, we've got all these great distributors, but that's not what Tom Roebuck's strength is. And he just throws a you know, pass halfway across the pitch to exactly where it needs to be. And that George Ford one, because the Ford one, it was so flat and fast and, you know, carving open in defence, just a thing of beauty. And it needs to get clipped up and shown everywhere because that's the thing. It looks like an easy try almost, but I think everyone who's played rugby will appreciate what a difficult skill that is. I mean, it's not even worth mentioning, but it's off his weaker hand as well. It's just a ridiculous piece of skill. So, yeah, I'm going to go with the Sam James one, but I think the whole game, he... Those touches of magic were not only does he run the game, but he adds those touches of magic, of which that was one. So it's a privilege to be able to watch him in a sales shirt, I think, isn't it? And that was just a, a massive highlight for me. And and the little droppy as well, you know, not not even in a a conventional setup. You know, it wasn't like we had the the penalty advantage or whatever, and we're right out in front of the sticks. It was very much off the hoof. You know, this kind of like, oh, we're not really going anywhere. I'll just drop it on the toe and dink it over. It's an unbelievable bit of skill. And to James's point, it is, it is dying out. And you do wonder, there, there must be other tens in the Premiership who can who can perform that skill. It'd be mad if they, they you know, they, they, they couldn't. But it's only ever George Ford you see do it. And whether or not that's just decision-making, whether or not that's just the way of seeing the game, but it's it's almost always the right decision. Uh, and it really paid off for sale. And again, just stretched out the lead and, and really kind of, Put a bit of water between uh, between us and Bristol. Um, one thing I did want to touch upon, actually, as, a, as, as the next item on the list, is ju- just sales defence as well. Uh, and it's a bit of a pattern that I've noticed for a couple of weeks now. And I want to get your your thoughts on it, boys, because I've been watching the World Cup, right? I've been watching the Springboks, uh, and I've been watching a little bit of sale as well. And there is a lot of similarities in how our defensive structures are being played. And I thought you really saw it against Bristol with how Sale have adopted their defence to have uh, the 13 shoot up. Uh, We've moved away from having our our kind of back off, back off, and then have our wingers kind of drop in for intercepts. It's now very much a kind of, not a rush defence, because it's not everyone coming out the line together, but we have this sort of 12-13 combination, which really jumps up and gets in the passing lanes and really seems to be disrupting uh, teams at the moment, a bit like what South Africa uh, did so well in the World Cup with Jesse Creel at 13. Um, And obviously, the best example of that is we we run it in the second half and Callum Sheedy throws the ball right to Rob Dupree and he runs in for a try. Um, And that's the first time we've seen it kind of pay off in in getting an intercept or or kind of, uh, you know, forcing a turnover to that significance. Well, I don't know, James, you know, what, what have you made of Sale's sort of evolved defensive structure this year? Because to me, it looks like not only is it being effective, but I think it's also hiding some of Rob Dupree's deficiencies as, as someone who isn't a natural 13. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, that's a really interesting one because I think they've obviously, he's obviously been working a lot at it. And the thing about Rob Dupree, he's a very intelligent guy. Um, you know, that, that's why he's captaining the side. Even when he's not officially captain, you can see he's always been the one doing a lot of the talking. Um, I think he's definitely got his dad's genes from a coaching perspective. Not sure what happened to the twins, but um, <laughs> but um, no, he he he's starting to make those decisions in that outside channel, and it is in an isolated position there. The way we do we do this, we have done this before. 
and he's been you know, he's been he's been caught out, um, and he's not been sure whether to do that or when to drop off. Sam James has always been brilliant at that. That that decision to slow his feet down, <clears throat> slow down, and so he can make the decision to go on the inside um, tackle or. Um, shift and shepherd towards the touchline. I mean, that's Sam, Sam James just got that absolutely nailed. Rob's a bit more about pushing, putting pressure on the 10. I think in this example, it's exactly the difference between Sheedy and Ford and why Gatlin shouldn't be looking at Sheedy from an international perspective, even though they have no fly-halves, who is Welsh in the entire world, who could <laughs> left, basically. Because that was just a very poor decision. Um, I mean, he was sitting there he must have been in the eye line, I think, uh, and still sort of threw it straight to him. It was a beautiful, it's a beautiful pass for Rob Dupria. Um, and so I'm not really sure about the decision making there. Against some of the better sides, and we saw even like Finn Smith do this against Northampton, uh, for, sorry, for Northampton yesterday. He, he, he's got a really good short and long passing game, but also can dink the ball through along the floor and over the top. Um, and I think that'll put a bit more pressure on us. Um, and, and also on the fullback covering. So I think it's fantastic in a sense that our collisions have remained continuous from the foreshore era. So the, the, all this decision-making we're asking their fly-halves, etc., to do is on the back foot with slow ball. They're always having to retreat or shift sideways. That makes quite a big difference. I think if somebody's coming onto the ball quickly and there's two or three options there, people can unpick our defence. Any defence is unpickable with a bit of planning. Um, and, and ours will be no different. It's just we have to remain physically dominant, um, and um, you know that's that's going to be critical for us. And it was really great to see someone like Josh Beaumont get through fifty-three minutes and bring bring some physicality because you know he's really been doing sort of twenty, thirty minute, thirty minutes off the bench for over a year now. And for him to put fifty-three minutes in in a really physical way, I thought was really important. So it's not just the standard. Well, it's Dan Dupree, it's whatever. Actually, the team, the, the whole pack brought it. Yeah, and shout out to Ben Bamber as well, who got 27 minutes off the bench. You know, we did, I remember a couple of weeks ago, talk a little bit about um, sales depth, particularly at lock and, and how they're rolling out Cobus Visa, who looks like he's going to go full-time as a, as a lock now. We, we haven't really seen him play six for, you know, probably best part two seasons. Um, but you know, Beaumont 29, uh, uh, 30, uh, obviously horrendous injury problems. You know, there is a big question there about his long term outlook. Visa again is, is he, he's sort of a four slash six. Johnny Hill's probably already out, out, out and out lock. And I know we've kind of dovetailed with a few, few players there, but again, seeing Beaumont do the 50 minutes, like you said, and seeing Ben Bamba come in and also make a, make a big impact with his 30 yard off the bench is, is really impressive. Um, and like you said, to kind of bring all these threads together, it's why we were able to sort of pinch uh, Bristol so efficiently. And it's why they never really got close to us. Um, Alex, from your perspective then, um, obviously really good win for sale. Four, four tries, you know, controlled the game. Um, apart from a, a bit of an early scare with, with Ben Curry, we, we kind of felt like we were in control for most of it. Um, what else did you want to pick out from this game? Like, what what caught the eye? Yeah, well, I think defensively, just to add to to that kind of discussion, I just think there's a lot of credit has to go to Jamie Langley as well because you know we've lost Mike for sure. We've gone into a kind of new season with a relatively short notice defensive coach appointment, and, and you know, been trying to. What's been quite impressive is that our defensive system has quite subtly changed as we're talking about, but also the the quality has remained the same. There's not really been the drop off of you know a few performances in a row where we've struggled and we've conceded and people are getting used to it. Um, I think what I also wanted to sort of complement that with is the physicality in defence was unbelievable. Some of the hits that were going in, Ben Curry put a couple in, one on Thacker where he absolutely nails him backwards. I think Bedloe put a couple in as well. But across the team, you know, we're making big hits and and that is pushing Bristol backwards and they can't get that momentum to go forward. So that's it's there's a few elements to why we're so successful in defence, I think. And two of them are that we sort of stress people and put them back inside, back into where our strength is through that shooting up in the 13 channel. 
And so their decisions are either go back inside to where the big boys are or go to the outside and try and throw the pass. And what you saw with Bristol is when they tried to go to the outside and throw the pass, it wasn't quite fast enough and it bounced and it got there, but we were able to cover. And when they went back inside, they were getting hit backwards. And that really damages teams, and especially Bristol, who play off that kind of momentum and and sort of, you know, if they can create a few, a couple in a row and, and play at pace, then you saw it for their try, you know, it's a get it off the ground, but you've got to be going forwards if you want to offload off the ground and, and do that kind of thing. So I think that was really impressive, the physicality across the team. And I've talked about kind of the speed of attack, which again, I thought was really impressive. Some of the phases of play, um, but just across the team, I think the work rate was so high for the whole game. Ernst van Rijn massively epitomizes it for me. You know, there's times when, especially against Bristol, if you turn off for a second, then they will, you know, find that little gap and go through. And he didn't really get noticed or lauded. But there's a couple of times when, you know, Bristol are going down the blind side or whatever it is. And, and people are getting across, Van Rijn particularly, but there was a Nick Shonnet one where he made about three tackles in a row off phases, where people are putting in tackles that are stopping Bristol getting any momentum. And these aren't the dominant ones. These are just get up, tackle them, get up again, tackle them. And that's stopping them getting an offload away or making a half break. And that stopped all the momentum. But, you know, the the engine to get to those blind sides and against the pace that Bristol have got in that, kind of in the entire team, really, but particularly in the back three with lights with Vittoria, um, you know, that requires real heart and real drive. And and I think it was so impressive to see that. Ernst van Rijn massively epitomises it for me, uh, but it is across the team. And that's so good to see because I think if we keep doing that, that is going to bode very well because it's that intensity at this stage of the season. I've no doubt that in a Premiership semi-final and final, the whole team would be going at that level. But if we can do it away at Bristol in November and we can do it, you know, at home to Newcastle in November, then it's going to create that mindset and that mentality for the rest of the season. But it's also going to get us the league position that makes those semi-finals and finals easier. Um, so, yeah, I just thought that was really, really impressive. And I think that intensity kept Bristol at bay because, you know, Bristol were... They, were, they weren't overly poor. They just couldn't deal with what we did in defence and they couldn't deal with the fact that we never stopped. And that's the, the key thing for me, that this wasn't a bad Bristol performance. This was a very, very good sale performance that didn't let up for 80 minutes. And as a result, it became a comfortable win. Well, it looks like the difference between a team in the top two or three and a team that's probably going to be fighting for sixth, right? I know disrespect to Bristol, but that's kind of how it felt on the day. This, you know, Sale are a team that are going to re- be really pushing again. And this Bristol team, we said last week, two two wins out of four, kind of in, the, in that sort of messy middle. Um, and that's kind of how it played out. And, and just on that as well, you know, I, I had a little look at the, uh, the, the standings, the, the table. We're already a quarter of the way through the season. Like it is a real sprint. That's over a quarter of the way through the season. It's a real sprint this year. And actually, there's only two teams that have played five and, and won four of the games, and that's Sale on 18 points and Quinns, who are top on on 19 points. And you just kind of feel to Alex's point about momentum and about work rate and ethic and and all this kind of stuff. This is where you sort of set the standards right now. Um, and it might be that you know in eight weeks' time. Sale might have a really comfortable grasp on a playoff spot. And all of a sudden, you can start really honing in on getting that home semi-final and whatever the case may be, to the point where you might be able to rest some players you know, with a couple of rounds left. Look, we, we don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but that's why beating, uh, that's why beating Bristol so handedly in, week, in round five of the season is so important because it just keeps building, building that cushion. It's also why the Exeter defeat is, was so disappointing. But... You know, unfortunately, you can't win them all. Um, speaking of can't winning them all, I can't win them all. Obviously, we've got Newcastle coming up next, uh, and they are winless to start the season. So, James, before we um, before we just touch on on Newcastle, um, any any final thoughts from from Bristol? No, not really. I I just think it was is the way we hung it in, in it in the first half. 
shows we've really got the fight and the mentality in the right place. I don't think we should take it for granted that where we ended up with the scoreline, and actually we should have been a lot further ahead if George Ford had kicked some, some more points. Um, it was hanging in in the first half in a nice way and going in ahead at half-time, I think really hit the Bristol team quite hard because I think they threw it all at us in the first half and they just felt they didn't have much to, left to do. And, you know, the likes of Sam Dugdale and our front row changes, you know, also just gave them sort of no... Because they... Actually, you know, Bevan Rob was under a bit of pressure in the first half. And then, of course, Simon McIntyre comes on. And it's just like, give him a kettle of fish in the scrum. So just when you're thinking you're getting the upper hand in, in one area that you can just hold on to, and then that area gets taken away from you pretty early doors in the first half, it's pretty it's pretty, pretty sort of downheartening. So I think we've got some good variety in the squad, and I think we've got the right mentality. So I think that that's, that's very positive. What about you, Lewis? I mean, look, like I said... It's just it's just a case of not not only just sort of getting the job done at this stage of the season, but winning so comfortably and being able to whether it's through your defensive pressure in the thirteen channel, whether or not it's from your your, your superstar fly half pulling the strings, whether it's you know turnovers, scrums, whatever. It's about finding ways to not only win games but also score lots of tries and pick up a, a try bonus point. You know that that exit to the game really sticks out now as to Alex's uh, word before an aberration. Uh, and it's the reason why it was so significant is even with four wins out of five, Sale still have a negative but points difference. We're still on minus three. And so just a game like that where just nothing goes right, you don't score any points, you don't pick up any tries, all that kind of stuff. It, it's really important that when you're going away to teams like Bristol and you're winning, you're winning by 14 points, you're getting your points difference back up, you're scoring a few tries, all of that stuff is going to make a massive difference at the end of the season. Um, and it's the only reason why we're we're not currently top. So um, exciting times to be a Sale fan. Like it feels like just in every facet of the game, we've really kind of picked up where we left off last season and, and are even improving on it. Um, and obviously it's hard. I look, we usually do a preview on, on the show and, and obviously we've got Newcastle uh, coming up next on, on Friday night. But I, I don't know, guys. Like, I don't really know what there is to say about Newcastle. Uh, 0 from 5 to start the season. Uh, 78 points for, 158 against. Uh, that's the, the worst marker uh, in the league for, for both stats. Negative 80 points difference. Only two points in our out of a possible 25 to start the season. It's been a, a pretty dire showing to, to start the year. I mean, James, have you got any you got any insight in terms of why why this might be? Well, yeah, they're probably operating about half the budget of the next paying side, and that's with a reduced salary cap. I mean, Newcastle made the decision that they're not going to go the same way as Worcester and, and London Irish, and we should be thankful for that. You know, but to have one team performing so poorly in a 10-team premiership just shows where we are as an English rugby at the moment, I think, and why we have to wait to next summer to get the plans that's going to save English rugby. You know, I really don't know because that'll be nearly two years, two years since Worcester went, when we are finally going to get the plan that's going to save the world. Um, so I, I'm, I'm worried for them and... You know, you look at the you look at the team, and not only are they dealing with a loss of talent, you know, the likes of Will Welsh, Alex Tate, been around that team for a very long time. They've retired. You know, it's not been it's not been that long since you know some of the other top top players kind of have kind of left or or retired as well, and people like Carl Ferns have left, etc. But there's also been a large turnover in the squad. So you put those two things together, they're trying to build a new identity with a load of players that frankly are learning to play at this level for the first time. They've, they've gone into the championship for a lot of their new signings, um, you know, from Jersey Reds and from Coventry, like Josh Bainbridge, who's, you know, he's, he's come, he came through, I think, the Leeds Academy and he's been a good player at that level for a long time. But, you know, the likes of Ollie Leatherbarrow, you know, he came through Exeter University. That's like, you know, two or three levels up you know, that he's coming into the premiership again. Like, you know, I mean, Leather Barrier has a sale connection. But, you know, it's a big, it's a really big step up. And when you have a look at some of the players that they're really relying on, there's a bunch of Argentinians, a couple of which maybe are moving towards the ends of their careers. And the other two at the completely 
other end of the scale, like, you know, Rubiolo, who's kind of 20, 21, and learns to play in the second row as well. He came through as number eight, really. So you look at all of their signings and you're thinking, I'm not worried about any of them. I'm not worried about any of them. Now, Newcastle have often signed players who haven't made it at Glasgow or Edinburgh, for example, and they've had quite a strong Scottish um, identity in, in, in Newcastle and they've been really hard to beat at home. What I'm really worried about is that that decision a few years ago to move to the plastic pitch is really not looking good for them right now because, you know, at the very least, you'd want them to go back to basics, play 10-man rugby, you know, understand that swirling rugby, the driving rain. Instead, you had Saracens come up at the weekend and put 50 points on you. I mean, that would never have happened before. And Newcastle have always paid less than everybody else. But they would never have shipped 50 points at home. So there has been a big change. You know, when someone like Walder left, leaves, you know, you know that they've just got nothing to play with here. Now, you could look at it and go, well, they're being really sensible here. There's no relegation this year. Or there probably isn't going to be any relegation this year. I can't remember what the situation is. So they, they kind of, they, they've been reducing their spend in the knowledge that there's no commercial risk or downside in the same way but you know if you're losing you know we're losing people coming to watch that's where suddenly it's that chicken and egg scenario you need the big players the winning to bring the people in we need the mm. people in to afford the the, the, the big spend it's, it's really really tough and it's a real problem for English rugby and perhaps the RFU would be absolutely shitting myself but they won't be because they'll be sitting there with their prawn sandwiches down at Twickenham and going down over to the Stoop to watch, which is sold out every week. They they they, they won't they won't be as worried as they should be because Leeds have gone. I mean they've 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 make they've, they've sort of stabilised a bit, but essentially they're gone. Right in the next tier down, Doncaster aren't the force that they were. Right, so really you're looking at the third level of English rugby before you get two or three strong Yorkshire sides, and then you go up to the top. You know, really it's the Aspatrias and the Morpeths. They're well down the pyramid. Really, and so Newcastle are an, a, literally an outpost for rugby. At least in the northwest, we've got Coldy there and Sale FC. You know, who look like they could make the step up. Okay, it's been a shocking year. I'm really worried about rugby union in that northeast of this country. And let's not forget how many people have come through Leeds academies, Newcastle academies, who have played for England. I mean. Yeah, Recently, I mean, this is not like sixties and seventies. This is like winning the World Cup in two thousand and three. Well, I mean, look at look at a player like Joe Carpenter, right? He's, he's come through at Leeds, and Sale have been able to snap him up because there's no pathway there. Um, but you're right; it's it's um, off the field. This was the right decision for Newcastle. You're not going to get relegated. Cut your salary. Give you know give give a, a number of young players the opportunity to, to get some meaningful minutes under them, take a flyer on a few players um, and just see what you get. If, if they go, and this is you know part of the problem, if they go 0-18 this year, it doesn't matter, right? They're not going to get relegated. It's embarrassing, yes, but it's, it's not the end of the world. But you're just starting to see some of this bear out now. You know, 50 points uh, conceded, obviously, to, to Saracens uh, over the weekend. What was their other scores? Let's have a look, quick look. Um, you know, 40 points, you know, conceded against Quinns. Lost a narrow one at home to New, uh, to Northampton, 16-14. And then lost another narrow one at home to Gloucester, 18-14. And then another 34 points, you know, uh, away at Bath. It's it's going to be a long season for them. There's just no way around it. Um, and you look kind of up and down the line up, you know, how many how many more years of Brett Conan do we need to see before we, we reckon he's he's not a... You know, upper upper echelon fly half. You know, uh, you, you look at some of the players that they've signed. You know, Josh Brainbridge, like you said, uh, this is about his third go at Newcastle. Um, he's never really cut the mustard. Sebastian De Chavez, you know, again second or third time around. It's, it, you know, it, it does make for, for you know tough to watch, and particularly as three Northern rugby fans uh, who've always had a very soft spot for uh, for Newcastle. And the other point on this is that what Newcastle always used to do is sign those players who you think, mm, will they make it, will they not? And then they used to make it and they used to win the home games. 
And the difference this season is that they've had three home games. Sarri's, they'd never expect to beat Sarri's at home. Conceding 50 points is a disaster for Newcastle at home, but they were never going to expect to beat them. The difference this season is they've had two incredibly close games at Kingston Park against Gloucester and Northampton and lost them by a combined six points. And that's, that's, that's the change this season. But the problem is for Newcastle, when you're so close to that kind of the, losing every game, in effect, as they always sort of have been, you know, they, they never won games by a canter, really. They, every game that they've won was really hard fought and really well-deserved. And then if they lost, it'd probably be hard fought well-deserved either. And then there were a couple of just aberrations like that Sarri's result they've had. The problem is that now it's, as it flicks the other way and you're losing close games by two points, six points, whatever, then, like say, the momentum goes and, and you're bottom of the table with no wins. And I, I think that's the frustration they'll have because, you know, they played a bath side first up who are looking pretty resurgent this season in pretty good form. Um, so to go there and lose by eight points at the wreck, I don't think is disastrous. The old Newcastle teams would have gone away and, you know, picked up maybe a losing bonus point there, but I don't think the old Newcastle team would have gone and beat that Bath team now the way it is. Gloucester really, really poor form this season. Probably should have won that. Saints been in decent form, but again, the old Newcastle will have won that, and that's the that's the change. This isn't like that, and this is almost the worry as well that we're talking about Newcastle off the back of a fifty point loss at home to Saris that feels like panic stations. But the problem with this season with Newcastle is it hasn't felt like panic stations for everyone else in the league because you're going, oh, Newcastle lost by two points, Newcastle lost by four points. Oh, they've, they've lost by, but they'll win a couple soon. And it's this slow sort of decline in effect that James is talking about that won't get noticed. Because to be honest, Newcastle could start dancing around naked on fire and the RFU wouldn't notice. But it's even worse if this is the way that kind of the team is, you know, sort of edging down towards that kind of championship level, which, and listen, Newcastle have pinged to and from the championship before. They will come back. They've got a really big base of academy talent to call on, and there's still going to be enough quality coming through that that I don't think, you know, the sad fact is Newcastle have got to prepare for life at the bottom of the premiership or the top of the championship. And I think that's a real shame when you look at, where they've been generally and historically, that actually Newcastle used to be a horrendous place to go. And it still is, and it still will be for sale when we go away in April. But I think if it's a horrendous place to go where you think you might win by five points rather than a horrendous place to go where you're going to have a horrid time and probably lose by six or seven, then that's going to change Newcastle from this kind of team that, throws a few shocks in, throws a few people's title charges, of course. Like for us last season, losing at Newcastle was a really big kind of hit to the momentum and stuff. It's going to change that from you just need to go up there and win. And as we say, that's a massive, massive shame. I think I, I don't think they're at the disaster stations that you could assume they are off the last two results. I don't think lose, getting battered at the stoop and losing at home to Saris is reflective of where they are as a team because I think if you watch those Gloucester and Northampton games they've still got that Newcastle DNA it's just they weren't quite on it enough to win those games so believe me there'll be a performance coming at some point I hope it's not on Friday for our sake but it could well be but there will be a performance coming at Kingston Park at some point that's what I'm worried about we've just spent the whole time sort of saying Newcastle are dying, they, they're gone as they're going to rock up to the AJ Bell and just pull out one performance uh, from but nowhere. It's always the risk. They, they, they definitely could well do that as well. And I, I think that is probably the... I don't know, honestly. That's that's the... That, sorry, Alex, go ahead. But the, what I don't see the difference between the sale team that went up and lost to Newcastle last season, the form they were in and the way we were playing and the standard of that Newcastle team, I don't think it's vastly different to the the disparity now. Teams don't, you know, yes, on paper, we should absolutely beat Newcastle. And yes, on paper, we probably will. And we're in good form. So that massively helps. But 
this game isn't played on paper, and there's enough evidence in our historic catalogue of average performances. You know, this is, we're a team that lost 43 0 to Exeter. If we play like we did against Exeter, against Newcastle, they will beat us. So, you know, it's not out of the question. It's just very, very unlikely with where both teams are currently at. But honestly, I think there's just a wider point here that, as we say, rugby in the North is being abandoned by the RFU. And Newcastle are going to feel that before we are because Newcastle haven't got the generous benefactor that we have. Well, that's it. They're already feeling it because they've had to make this decision this year, right? This Newcastle team, if they spend 20% more of the salary... Uh, their salary bill this year probably beat Northampton probably beat Gloucester and then they're sat two wins out of five and we're, we're sort of saying oh well they're not going to be very good this year but they're okay but they're already feeling they're having to make that that call to be like look we're just going to hire hire we're just going to have to sign a bunch of no names you know I'm, I'm looking at the team now we played Saracens and like you know, I don't. I don't recognise half of them. If the, if the surname isn't Argentinian or Radwan, it's, it's or Chick. It's very difficult to actually, you know, kind of put put two and two together where some of these players are coming from. And we know we've just talked about this, right? The, the the you know the McCallums or the Hawkins or the the Crosses or whoever you you pick out, you, you're really betting on a ten percent chance that they turn out to be a, a top end Premiership player to have any chance of being competitive this year. And I think. You know, obviously, every team is good. They'll probably have Matteo Carreras back, they might have Maroni back. You know, you could you could see a, a scenario where they could, you know, give Sale a bit of trouble. But I could also see more scenarios where Sale put forty on them, and that's a really good position for us to be in. But it's just a real a real shame for for us as as just general fans of rugby in in Northern England. Um, you know, and and. You know, I, I wish it wasn't the case, but you know, I, I, you can't expect Sale to show him much mercy. And I, I mean, think when, be a... when you lose your Josh Hodges and your Hayden Woods, you know, these kind of like young, talented academy type people, that's where it really hurts. And we've been yeah. on the other end of that. You know, I'm they've much, also lost I'm the much... likes of Trevor Davison to Northampton, yeah. and it's, it's it's really been it's, it's been bad. You know, when you lose Wilson and and Welsh to retirement as well. Um, you know, these are absolute stalwarts of the club, and you just think that, that you know the likes of Chick, you know, they need to step up now. These are the next generation. Mickey Young's another one, you know, okay, kind of gone over the hill <clears throat> and been released, but when they all go at the same time or within 12 months of each other, <clears throat> that's when you really struggle. And if I was Newcastle, I would have been trying to offer it on the phone to Steve Diamond. I, I would have been straight on the phone to Steve Diamond. You look what he did at Worcester, yeah. It's going to be a year of just battling like, you know, tooth and nail and you might scrape the odd whim. But the next next year, there's a logic to the hiring. You know, you, it's just such a shame that Worcester went when they did because you had a look at their squad for the beginning of last season. You thought, blimey, I, you actually don't want to play Worcester. They had some really gnarly, horrible type players coming in and, and Newcastle haven't signed those players this year. They, they haven't signed the gnarly, horrible players and that's what they should be doing. That's what they need to do. Well, I mean, the, the other thing as well, again, to go back to the salary thing is, you know, Saracens had one Martin Gonzalez playing for them, right? He was out, he was out of a job last year when Irish went bust. That's what a player that would have been for Newcastle, you know? And, and the thing is, it probably wouldn't be too difficult to convince him to go up there because half of his Pumas teammates are up there as well. Um, but they just, they just can't play in those pools anymore. And jo- Josh Hodge is, is a great example Um how much better would this team look with, with him in? You know, he's he's finally we 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 touted him three years ago. This is a player to watch, and he's really starting to step up. And he'll probably play for England at some point in the next couple of years. Um, how how much better does this Newcastle team look with him? You know, I mean, the, you know, there's all these ifs and buts, but I think the the the, the main takeaway that I want to get to here is this feels like sale in 2013 and 2014. The end of the Brian Kennedy area. We didn't have any money. You know, you pick up your Michael Pattersons and your Jonathan Mills as. And, and Steve Diamond was working miracles. But the problem is, even at our worst, we weren't getting beat by 50 points at home, even to Saracens. There was always just something keeping us you know, close or keeping us within games. Um, and that's the, the concern for Newcastle because whether or not it's the results, whether or not it's the talent pool, whether or not it's the sign-ins, it just, it just doesn't feel as, as um, 
even even at sale at the worst, I think would still showed a bit more fight than this. And you know, I am a bit worried about Friday's game because I think Sale could quite easily put fifty points on them and and win very handedly um, without really having to break a sweat. And I think that's a real real shame. And um, speaking of which, let's do some predictions then. So look, we've all been both a little bit cautious and also a little bit assertive in terms of where we think both teams are. Alex, what, what's your gut feeling on this one? We're I think we're going to win, but I don't think we're going to get a bonus point. Um, so I think we're going to win like 22-8 or something. Um, yeah, I think it's going to be comfortable, but I think it's going to be one, another one of those games like Saints and Leicester where we kick ourselves not getting the try bonus point. So that's what I'm going for. I, I agree with you. you. I could see all outcomes here. I don't see us losing at home at all. Um, and, and that's more to do with us than it is to do with Newcastle. But um, yeah, I don't think it'll be... I think if it is a walkover, then it will be a very, very sad day for Northern Rugby. So I'm hoping it's um, not quite that. So yeah, 22-8 to sell. I think as long as um, we turn up psychologically, and that's the risk, isn't it? You've just gone away to Bristol and you've won. You've seen Saracens have pumped Newcastle at home. You think, well, we weren't that far off Saracens last year. We just need to turn up. So as long as we do turn up, um, then I think it'll be relatively comfortable. Should, the, the weather should hold on Friday night. So I think it'll be, but it will be cold. I, I don't know, like 32, 16, something like that. Like, I think it will be, it will be, should be comfortable enough. 42, 10. To sell from my side, I think this will be a bit of a bit of a pasting, unfortunately. Um, well, regardless of the score, we've got one final thing to discuss. Rugby paper had a report, I think it was Sunday uh, this week, around the the drop in average attendance uh, in the Premiership this season, and you hope that regardless of whatever the score is on Friday, we're not going to see five thousand people there. But unfortunately, that seems to be the way the league is trending so far this year. And Alex, you, you've you probably got some some numbers on this. You've got a bit of analysis for us. But I guess before we jump into that, I, you know, James, quick thoughts from yourself. Even off the back of a World Cup, tenants is down 15% versus, uh, year on year. Um, it, it does make you wonder where that report is that's going to save rugby, doesn't it? I mean, I, I just, I, where, where's the urgency between the head injury stuff, we talked. We've been talking about this now for three seasons. Like between the head injury stuff and the the kind of commercial reality of what we're operating in, it's there. And the Welsh rugby is going through exactly the same, but even worse. I mean, they're next year they're probably going to get down to about two and a half mil in their salary cap for the Welsh regions. It's brutal, man. You know, it's. I, I, I and I don't pretend to have all the answers. But I think we need to start trying some shit here, people. Um, and and I think that part of it comes into we were you know a lot of English fans weren't proud of the way England were playing going into the World Cup. I think they've got maybe some of that back. So it'll be interesting to see that post World Cup there's maybe a bit of a, a bounce back. You know, a lot of focus on the World Cup, not driving people through the gates for their kind of teams at home. Um, but it's definitely a worry. Yeah. So it's. Listen, there's no doubt that the start of the season has been a bit of a worry for attendances and this kind of triggered me into going and having a look at what what they've been historically. Um, massive caveat that all this data came off Wikipedia, but I have managed to um, reconcile most of it like the good accountant I am to say I'll announce their attendances for the year in the accounts each year. So I think we're in the right ballpark, um, albeit the accounts are like two years behind. So... I think because the concern is you start off with the Premier Rugby Cup and we have kind of 4,000 at home to Bedford, 3,300 at home to Leicester. The Ampdale game, I think the attendance figures have gone wrong because it says there are 411 people there, which doesn't feel right, even for, um, you know, a game on a Friday night. Um, so, yeah, I'm not sure about that one. But Premier Rugby Cup aside, if you kind of look at average attendances in the Prem for sale over the last few years, so... Pre-COVID, 1920, just over 7,000 in the Prem as an average attendance, really, really strong. Then 21-22 post-COVID um, is 6,000. So just 
these figures exclude kind of those games where the attendances were capped at 4,000 and just knocked them out because there's no point looking at them. 22-23, literally just under 7,000, 6,988. Um, and then 23-24 so far, we've only played two games, obviously. We've had Saints and Gloucester. Average attendance, 4,271. So that looks really, really bad. But it's easy to say that looks bad. And I think what makes it potentially look worse is that those games are on a Friday and a Sunday, which historically have been our better attended games. So last season, average attendance on a Friday, 7,500. Average attendance on a Sunday, 7,900. Saturday's bringing that down because people are playing rugby, people have got stuff on. So it's really easy to then write the headline of sales attendances, average in the Prem, whatever, are massively down. Actually, if you look at the games we've played, we played Saints on a Sunday, 3,842. Not a great crowd, but Saints last year, it was our opening game on a Sunday and we got 4,064. So actually, you know, you're not that far down on, you know, 5% down, but it's 200 people that. Similarly, Gloucester, we played on a Friday night at home in the pitting rain this season, 4,700. Last season, Gloucester at home, we got 5,000. So we're 300 down. So again, you know, we're a few percentage points down but it doesn't feel like the kind of massive disaster that it looks like partly because we haven't had those big games of the Leicesters and the um, Saracens I guess Quinns we usually get a decent crowd Exeter we always seem to get a decent crowds so there are teams who I think travel better in that bumps up our crowds I think Saints certainly are one of the worst travel sporting teams because there's not that many people who, you know, are going and following them. It's Northampton's quite a small place and, and as a result, you know, you don't get that kind of big away following. Or we certainly haven't at sale in the past as a general rule. So I think the the concern for me is that when you look at the start to the season, we haven't even hit a five thousand crowd yet. And that's the worry. And yes, we've had three Premier League Cup games and two relatively low attended Prem games in the past. But I think when you look at, say, last season, second game of the season, Exeter was 6,200, second Premier game of the season, so Exeter 6,200 people, and we're kind of built into that. I was looking at the 1920 season for the last time there was a World Cup. First couple of games, Saints at home, 5,700, Wasps, 6,800. There's a massive drop off after COVID, by the way. Our season pre COVID was our best average attendance for like donkeys. Um, so and there's all sorts of, and I'll, I'll get these into a spreadsheet that we can chuck up online because it's all just publicly available information, but it's helpful to see. But I think what the concern is, is that, yes, there's an attendance concern here that Salem got over 5,000 people and we need to get those people in the door. And I don't think a home game on a Friday night against Falcons is going to help up in any way, shape or form. I mean, last season, the Falcons home game was the last home game of the season. It was a sunny May Saturday. Um, we were playing really well. We guaranteed That's the semi final. We got seven and a half thousand people. So, like, we're not going to get that. And but this is the problem with rugby that we've already had this article saying attendances are fifteen percent down or whatever they are, which is just massively not nuanced. It's just a number that I'll, I've found that it works. And number two, we're now going to get a load of people saying sale charts. You know rubbish tendencies, you know, Falcons, we're going to be 40% down on last season because it's a Friday night in November rather than a Saturday afternoon in May. Rugby is terrible at promoting itself. And the more, there's a really good Sam Lana thread on this, but the more you tell everyone how rubbish your sport is and how much danger it's in, and yes, we can all, you know, sort of internally as the rugby lot work out what to do. But the problem is you're going to get a load of media saying rugby is terrible. If you're a casual fan and you see an article saying rugby attendances are down and it's a nightmare and the game's in disrepute and all, it's all going down the shitter, you're not going to turn up, are you? So this is what I don't get, is that the solutions aren't coming from anywhere because there's no leadership from the RFU. But equally, the media have got a massive question to answer here of how are you promoting rugby? Because at the moment, they're not. At the moment, the media are making it worse for rugby fans and worse for casual viewers because they're not making it an attractive thing to come and watch. So, you know, let's, uh, it's, it's one to throw back to you boys, but I think that the thing we need to do as 
and us and as a rugby fan base and as anyone involved in the media is be a little bit more positive because I know that there's a lot of issues facing rugby, but the more you shout about how much the game is completely gone, then the less that I'm going to be able to convince my mates to come down to AJ Bell. Yeah. Well, particularly because the product is good. The product is genuinely very good. And the, the, the thing that comes to mind for me, that Tyrone Green try at the weekend, right? Or was it the week before? I can't remember. You know, the little chip over the top, he, he fucking Superman dies for it. It's an unbelievable bit of skill, right? For one of the most exciting players in the game, right? Uh, I should have seen that everywhere. The, the, only, the only video I saw, which was tweeted by Premiership Rugby, was a video from the fucking stands. So it's a shaky cam. You can't hear it properly. And I get the idea is it's supposed to be this, like, um, you know, kind of view from the seat sort of thing. But that is the sort of thing. A bit like Carreras' try against for Newcastle against Northampton last year. You should just be posting that every time you get a, uh, a, every time you get a spare minute. Right, and we just don't see it, and I don't know what it is. I don't know whether or not it's just like not not savvy social social media managers. I don't know whether or not there's there's some sort of like rights issue or licensing issue. But the, the, these Tyrone Green moments, right, or moments of that ilk, they happen every single week. You should show Ben Curry putting uh, Harry Thacker on his ass over and over again because it's incredible the physique, the skill, the timing, all of it. But we just do nothing to promote it. And the, the best place to start is, is there's, two, there's two, actually. The first is just take clips out of this, right? Just ev- take clips like this, just from everyday games. You'd be like, this is the sort of otherworldly stuff you just see uh, as, as normal when you come to a rugby game, right? Superman dies, massive hits, incredible skill, drop goals from 50 metres. Like, it's incredible. The other thing you should be doing, make a bigger deal about all your international stars coming back, Right? You go, we go watch, you know, Sale versus uh, uh, Bristol. You've got English internationals. You've got, you've got French internationals. You've got, uh, you know, Scottish, what, you know, whatever, Welsh internationals, whatever the case may be. You've got some of the best players in the world, that 70,000, 80,000 people go and watch, you know, where every time it's January to, to March. We just do nothing. Make some head-to-heads. Wales versus England. George Ford versus Callum Sheedy. Like, there's just, it's, it's obvious stuff to do, but they just don't do it. And I've got no idea why. Um, and, and, like, that's just two easy things, right? Just, just go from posting five videos a week to, to 25, right? There's enough content there. The product is good enough to, to warrant it. They just need to do more with it. I, I think you Really good point, Alex, and I've been guilty of this in the past as well. Like, if we get into a doom loop on the negativity, then I think you, you absolutely you end up writing your own outcomes. Really, it's like you get you know. Uh, but but what I would say is the criticism really is about the way the game is being run and sold, and I think that is fair. I think from starting at world rugby level right the way through to the RFU, etc. I think Sale is being run pretty well. Actually, our marketing department have been doing loads better. The signings we've been making is great. I agree that generally the product is pretty good. It's not everywhere, but generally pretty, pretty good. I think England being a bit down in the doldrums has affected, and then losing the teams, like from a commercial perspective, there's been a real kind of like blow off the back of COVID and all the rest of it. It is rebuildable. Like, you only have to go back like five or six, seven years maybe, and these sentences won't be the end of the world. Like we 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 see it as something to to build off. So you know, I think there's, there's still something there, but it requires great leadership from club owners, from game administrators, and world kind of rugby officers. And at the moment, I'm seeing too many holes in that. And I think there's a lot that what you're seeing in the media and what you're seeing from me and other people. It's genuinely an anxiety about the game we love. And um, it's kind of pouring out. Um, and I think when you sort of, you pour it out and then you just you just get kind of like just nothing back. You're like, okay, well, maybe, you know, do you know what I mean? But absolutely, I think if you're going down to watch Sale um, in the last few years, it, it should be a mu- the, the, the game experience, the, the game day experience is loads better. The traffic slows better. Um, the product on the pitch, we're winning more often than we're not. We've got some world-class players like George Ford and Manu Tuolangi and all these players. We should be 
going, we should be the exception to the rule. I think we deserve to be. And so I would encourage Sale fans to say, okay, whatever is happening in the game more broadly, get behind your local Northwest club. This could be our time where we can dominate English rugby, but help bring it out of the doldrums. Let's establish the Northwest as the exception to the rule, and we can be the big growth area now for this sport. Yeah, the rugby league is not as strong as it was. Yeah. Um, and so we, 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 we have the opportunity a little bit there to to really be an exception to the rules. So that's I'd, I'd look to be ambitious from a sale perspective, but I think the framework that the club is operating in at the moment is lacking leadership within the game. And so I think it's I think whether it's the media or the fans, I think it's completely valid for us to put pressure on our administrators. Like some of the shit that is you know is coming out is 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 rubbish and. You know, I really worry about things like TV deals and things like that as well, c- going to be reversing. And, you know, the, the, the what they're selling is, you know, maybe you get, get less money for it and then there's less money into the club and we're, we're just stuck in this in this situation. So I, what I would say, though, is from a head perspective, I think we're in a better place now than we were 12 months ago. Um, you know, I still think there's lots of bad stories out there about head injuries and stuff. But I think that the way that the game is trying to manage it on the pitch is is improved. And I think we're we're seeing less head-on head and head-on shoulder collisions, honestly. And when you do, it's a red card. Okay, that's disappointing. But I think you are seeing a change in behaviour from the players. So on that perspective, we're starting to see an improvement. But um, good, interesting stats. And I think the right stress test, we have to try and find, find some positivity in the game and get people back. So uh, a nice, beautiful, minus four, sleet and snow night at sale on a Friday. Get yourself down there, people. Yeah, look, we're, we're just as guilty of it as, as, as anyone. But, you know, it comes from a good place. And also, by the way, I just scrolled down the Shark Tank Twitter feed uh, and there's more videos of Harry Arundel scoring for Racing 92 over the weekend than there are as uh, Premiership Rugby uh, exploits at the moment, which... Kind of, kind of says it all. The, the the one I did see from Premiership Rugby is Curtis Langdon scoring at the back of a rolling mall, right? And we love Curtis Langdon on this podcast, right? You're never going to meet any any three people who are bigger fans, but not what we should be prioritising. Sorry, Curtis. Uh, Alex, anything anything to round us off? Um, yeah, well, no, just to agree with James, I don't want to be a happy clappy, like, you know, we just all need to pretend that the world's fine and say everything's all right um, in in our approach to, to rugby. I think there's, you know, this is a rugby podcast for rugby fans and I assume that most people listening here will have gone to a sale game um, or would go to a sale game if they could. And, you know, we can have that proper, you know, what's going on with the world, I think, there's there's a different face to show the kind of the rest of the sporting world, the football fans and all that, and and try and yes hold them to account and hold world rugby and pro rugby to account, but also recognise when they're doing good stuff, and um, I think that is the the key thing that we did, probably don't do enough, probably don't shout about the good stuff enough as we shout aloud about the bad stuff. So that's probably the line to walk. Um, but I agree with James. Listen, the, the sales charts are in a really really good place. We're, playing some fantastic rugby we've got such a better club set up if you think about when people used to go 10 years ago to the AJ Bell just a horrendous experience compared to what it is now um so that makes it there's there's very few reasons not to go to the AJ Bell on a Friday night now I think it's you know a really good place to go the club have done a massive amount to improve the fan experience so yeah, I've no doubt those crowds will come back because the more people go, the more they'll enjoy it. It's just getting people there in the first place, and you know, as we build through the rest of the season, I think that'll um, we'll see that as well, and we'll obviously we'll keep in keep in check with it on the pod um, and see how we're going. But yeah, we've got to support the Northwest Rugby, and as always, we are you know we we do this kind of call to arms occasionally, but I think if you can get to the ground and you can watch do it because it's there's so much effort being put into making that a better experience you know the fan new fan area in under the um, north stand everything around the club is a real positive at the moment if you look at 
you know, where we've gone in the last couple of seasons. The, on the field, it's really positive. Off the field, it's getting more and more positive. This is a proper Northwest club run by Northwest people who just want the best for Northwest rugby. So if we can support it as fans, then that is only going to make everything better around the club, both off the field and on the field. So, yeah, get down there, get on CJ Bell. If you can get there on Friday for the Falcons game, do. If you can't, find out when the next one is and go to that. And we'll keep promoting it. And we'll, um, yeah, try and not be too negative. But we'll also, you know, we won't let people off if uh, if they start doing things like World Rugby, not letting anyone post any videos of their tournaments on Twitter or X or Instagram or wherever it is. Because, yeah, we could uh, go on about that for hours, I'm sure. So, yeah, that's my uh, that's my final thought. Also to say that Sail FC won at the weekend for the first time in what feels like forever. So the, we might not be getting relegated from that one. It's like, yeah. oh, what? What has been going on this year? Like uh, Tom Curtis what? was absolutely superb um, from a Sharks perspective, and Tristan Woodman was very good in the back row as well. Um, Nathan Langdon played well at hooker, so there's a lot of Sharks interest there, and pretty positive. Connor Dougherty played as well. Um, well, at least we're not um, going to get rele- they're not going to get relegated because that do you know what I mean? But the, we're not going to get promoted. It was like a really great year this year to try and get genuinely promoted to the championship because you know you, you, you get up there and next year in the championship, the likes of Scottish Coldy they look beatable. Amthill to stay up. So I think this is a, a Cambridge. You know, it's a really, really good year to have gone up into the championship ready for next year and then stay there. So anyway, it is what it is. It's good that they've turned the corner against the best in the league. Right, that'll do it for this week. Lots to chat about, lots to get into. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, and I figured it's probably time to, to wrap up when we start talking about Squidge Rugby. You know something's gone off off piste when we're, we're talking about copyright law and infringements and all the rest of it. So thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much to Alex and James for joining me. We'll be back with you next week uh, after the Newcastle game.